0: Hello, everyone! Welcome to Random Encounter 289 or 289. My name is John O'Logan, and uh, if you've been listening, you know that I've been hosting this podcast for a few years now, and I've been doing RPG fan podcasts for even longer than that. But I remember my very first podcast here on the site. It was an episode of Retro Encounter, it was about a year after I joined RPG fan, and it was entirely focused on Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening Remake. And I was pretty nervous about it. Actually. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, my sound equipment was a mess. My audio didn't sound all that great. I wasn't, I was mostly, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to communicate what I wanted to on the podcast. And, uh, and, uh, thankfully it went off without a hitch. I had a great time on the episode. So what I'm saying here is that the first time doing a podcast can be a little nerve wracking for some. And, uh, with that in mind I'd like to say hello to Tim Rattray hey Tim if this is your very first time on the podcast
1: uh on a podcast ever no but on a podcast for RPG fan yes and in quite a long time yes as well I'm super excited to be here uh, you know uh, but going into this you, you know you I know that you're an expert so that makes me feel very comfortable uh doing it so glad to be here I wouldn't say expert
0: enthusiastic amateur at best perhaps that works um, too yeah so Tim uh, Tim's are one of our feature uh Feature writers, and I've been poaching Tim for reviews for a while now. Uh, and we also have on this episode, we have Nick Mangaracina. Uh Nick's first podcast with RPG Fan was a memorable Random Encounter episode about Yakuza that I recorded in my car in 2022. Uh, it was like raining like crazy. It was hot. The car completely fogged up. I was using my travel mic, and I couldn't get inside the house because both of my parents had COVID. So, uh, Tim. However, this episode goes, you're already ahead of the game of uh, Nick. Nick's first episode was uh, wow, and this one seems to be going okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't complain. At least there's no COVID involved. That's 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 <laughs> that's a, a one up, you know. So. Yeah, that is that's always
0: a one up. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, two games that came out recently. Uh, just a programming note: you might see. I mean the the. I'm trying to figure out the, the right way to put this. the uh, the spiky blonde haired elephant in the corner. Uh, a game is coming out uh, next week, or at least rev- at least uh, next no, next week, the week after that. Um, that many people are looking forward to, and because of that, we might be doing a special episode on it uh, next week. We might be uh, preempting uh, Rhythm Encounter just so we can talk about the uh, uh, the rebirth um but for this one we're just going to be talking about some cool games here so just giving you a heads up we might have an episode next week as well uh first up we're going to be talking about a piece of DLC which is actually fascinating because it's not i would i would say from everything i've read it's more than a piece of DLC it's essentially its own game uh and it is Eastward Octopia so Eastward was a very highly anticipated action RPG that released back in 2021 Uh, It featured some incredible pixel art. It had partner-based mechanics for puzzle solving and exploration, a little bit like Mario and Luigi RPGs. And uh, the story was about a post-apocalyptic underground world. Uh, For some people, it didn't quite live up to the sky-high expectations. That being said, many, many people really enjoyed it. Izzy reviewed it for the site and Izzy gave it an 83. Uh, I believe, Nick, that you enjoyed it a little bit more than that.
2: Yeah, um, you know, and... And I would even say that the go, going into the DLC and with your expectations set that it is a DLC, I think it, I think that's what exceeded it. Mm. Um, the full game itself, I would probably agree with Izzy
0: about mm-hmm. an eighty-three, about an eighty-three, uh, and that's the thing. Yeah. An eighty-three isn't bad.
2: No, 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 no. And in fact, uh, I, I think that um, you know, if you have high expectations of the original game, that would make sense that you might be a little disappointed. Uh, I, I had, uh, uh, done a small little preview event for it, mm-hmm. um, for another site and, um, was very, it was greatly anticipating the release. Um, and I played it on my switch and I loved it, you know, um, but, uh, I didn't have very high, you know, I, I, I saw the pixel art and I thought the pixel art was the, the winner there, the, the, what shined the most. And the big draw. Uh, yeah. And it's gorgeous. I mean, that, that mm. game, the original Eastward is just gorgeous.
0: Oh yeah. It absolutely is. Um, I would say that it's, like I said, it's, it's the draw. It's the thing that really drew your eye to it. Literally for most people you know, the pixel or drew your eye. Um, and it's fascinating to me that uh, it, it, it was, it was, it got some good, some good buzz. I mean, it, in some cases it was, a, it was a solid mid eighties game. Um, and now it's 2024 and we're getting a massive piece of DLC called Autopia. Uh, and it's taking a slightly different, I guess, uh strategy here rather than be like a, a a new quest for the main game or even post-game content it's being set in an alternate reality that doesn't quite follow the same plot as the main game though it does feature many of the same characters including the two main characters uh but the big thing here is that it actually changed the genre from an action rpg to a farm sim <laughs> uh which is a uh, intriguing choice uh Apparently the original was, there wasn't a lot of hope in that game uh, from what I have read. It was, there was, it was a post-apocalyptic society and it seems like they flipped the script on that with this DLC and it's actually uh, quite a bit, it's a bit of a hopeful game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. It, uh, um, you know, the, the narrative isn't very strong in the Octopia DLC. Um, uh, the, the farming and cooking pretty much takes center stage. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what narrative is there is built around hope.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's start off because it's DLC. We'll, we'll jump off from the original. What remains the same as the original?
2: Uh, so mostly the characters, um, and the, and their personalities, uh, what's in, what, what struck me as interesting was, um, you know, I, I started seeing all these characters that I remembered and, and some of them are actually different. Um, Solomon, who was what you could consider the primary antagonist of the first game. um, is is just kind of like a chubby realtor in this game in the in the dlc and he's very friendly and kind of um goofy uh i really liked that change that is Um,
0: realtors the true antagonist of society
1: (laughs) i can say that because
0: my mother my mother my my mother's a realtor i'm allowed to say that (laughs) and i would agree (laughs) (laughs) he does
2: well uh he gets laid off uh very early on Mm -hmm. so um he's not a realtor for the whole game, but yes. Uh, and, um, but you see the characters come in and the, the central, mm, attribute of their character, Mm -hmm. uh, remains the same. Um, William is still, William in the original game, uh, was kind of like a, uh, shady, uh, merchant. Um, and he's just setting up a shop in your town, not being shady in this one. Mm -hmm. Um, Alva and Izzy are still up to their, um, inventor tricks and, uh, trying to, um, um, uh, make new technology and things like that. Hmm. Uh, Mung and his sons are, uh, still construction workers and help, uh, with construction around town. So they're really using the s- central themes of each character in a way to kind of, uh, uh, make it, you know, like fit, fit them into the the farming simulator world and they do they i mean like they do an excellent job with that
0: it sounds very much well we've said alternate reality and it sounds very similar to that where it's a it's a world that's less desperate and as a result these people are also less desperate so yeah they're the same people but because of the the circumstances surrounding this they can be less i guess stressed about it they can be themselves a little bit more maybe
2: yeah that's actually an interesting point yeah i i guess i didn't i didn't consider that but yeah with the world being a little bit more i mean even though the central theme is hope the world you really only have the uh the only thing that really connects to the main game from the physical world aspect is the train the train is kind of like a very central piece um in the original game as it brings you from destin from from place to place right and mm. you know story beat to story beat um and this seems like the end of the line uh, on that train. Okay. Um, but, unf- but you don't really get a good sense of like the world as a whole, um, in this parallel universe. Uh, y- y- you just know that, you know, Octopia is here. It, it used to be a theme park, but it's now been, a- it's been- since been abandoned. Um, and, uh, we're, we've decided to just start building it up as a town, um, seemingly apropos of nothing. <laughs> mm. And, uh, um, it works really well. And, um, yeah, I guess so with, uh, the theme of hope and the theme and, and, and with a, ta- uh, a world that's a, a little less unforgiving, um, maybe they are able to live out their best lives. Okay. And that's what we're seeing.
0: Also, the game looks very similar. The pixel art is still stunning.
2: Yeah. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Um, now let me ask you, here's the big question because I, I the answer is going to be a lot. What is different here? So there's no combat whatsoever. So right off the bat, action RPG is out. Gone.
2: Um, and uh, so that, that, that also surprised me because it's not like the combat mechanics in Eastward were bad. Hmm. Um, it, it was a very competent 2D, 2, 2D Zelda game. And so I was expecting, oh, this is a farming sim like Stardew Valley. I expect there's going to be a cave that I'm going to go in and I'm going to have to fight enemies. And this is not true. Um the the cave mechanic is relegated to the sonic punk that uh Alva and Izzy, or Alva has created, and uh he uses bombs to just blow up um rocks, mm-hmm. and that's how you gather things in in the cave. There is no combat whatsoever. Um and I guess I, I should have mentioned this uh when he asked what was the same. Um the central theme in this one, much like uh Eastward, is John's cooking. Okay um John's cooking takes center stage in this in this game as far as like, you know, w- w- what's important and what's been made the most of mm. uh, and I'll and I'll clarify that by saying um, there are like um, 30, diff- 30 or 40 different fish you can catch. Um, there's like uh, 40 different things that you can grow on the farm. And there's something like 170 recipes you can make. Ooh. So the game, you know, one thing about John in Eastward is that <laughs> I keep wanting to say Eastward 1. Um, <laughs> one thing about John in Eastward is that he, you know, his, his primary weapon is a frying pan and he can cook. You mm. know, people love his cooking. Um, and, you know, that that is very important in uh, the Octopia DLC. Um, you gain recipes and eventually, um, you're able to, uh, invite people over for dinner and oh, a dinner party, it, which is actually very cute.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, uh, you really get to see a lot of the personalities of the, uh, other townsfolk shine through.
0: Interesting. So that's kind of how you, it doesn't sound like there's a ton of plot here. It's not quite as narrative driven as the original. It sounds like it's mostly, uh, character and in a weird, I don't want to say base building, but like rebuilding this community essentially.
2: Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, it, you know, I, I should say that I didn't even realize that, uh, Eastward had a DLC coming out. You know, I, I, yeah, it, that's
0: a bit of a failure of the publisher and developer at this point, I think, cause I didn't either aside from right. just like it, it, it really did slip under the, under the radar, which is a shame considering just how massive this piece of DLC is.
2: Yeah, cuz I'm pretty certain and it and cheap as well. I believe it's like $6 or $7, right? Yeah,
0: it's it's $6 on Steam, not on sale. Right now at the point of this recording, it is on sale for like 5 bucks. That's uh, insane. Yeah, as I understand it, it's like 20 hours worth of content.
2: Yeah, I I I I put about I so I 100%ed it and I mm-hmm. put about 24 hours in.
0: Yeah, that's so
1: that's a great value for your money. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm actually curious because it is so different. Is this something they're selling separately from the main game, or do you ha- do you have to have like actually bought this RPG to play this farming sim? Because they do seem like they're playing to very different
0: audiences. It's it's a DLC. You have to buy, you have to have the original in order to play it. Okay. Wh- which again, I think is a an interesting choice because it seems like this game is such a departure from the original that. It very easily could have been made into a standalone game, and it probably would have gotten a little bit more fanfare than a piece of DLC for a uh, a game that got released uh, in 2021.
2: They also could, uh, you know, if they spin, spin it off into its own game, um, you could charge more for it too. I'm yeah. not saying go go nuts, but I mean, like, it, even four dollars more. To put it at the ten dollar price point, you know, this is a very good ten dollar game.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like it.
2: So it's a steal at six dollars.
0: Truly, <laughs> yeah well aside from the cooking there's also i mean like i said it's a farm sim essentially so how do the farming mechanics compare to say a dedicated farm sim like stardew valley i mean
2: they're essentially the same okay um (laughs) (laughs) you plant yeah you uh you till the soil you plant the seeds you water them and then after and as long as you're consistently watering them uh they grow into plants it's Um, harvest moon yeah yes and um you know uh I feel like and maybe it's just because I haven't played a farming sim in a little bit, uh-huh. but it felt like things were kind of accelerated, like they wanted the DLC to kind of be a quicker pace, uh-huh. you know, like that we know this is a DLC, so we don't want this to to drag on. So mm-hmm. the narrative beats do actually come, um, I don't want to say quickly, but like the pacing
0: is very good. I've heard that the pacing is actually uh, better than the original game. The original game, from what I have read, it starts out pretty slow the pacing in the first few chapters is a little weird. So it sounds like they may have learned their lesson from that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, the narrative is also a little bit heavier in the first game too. So Mm. if you're not, you know, if you're not really resonating with the heavier narrative or maybe it's not heavy, maybe it's just that it's a little dismal and bleak (laughs)
1: Mm.
2: and that can kind of wear, you know? Um, So I feel like the, the narrative in Octopia is a little more, you know, upbeat. And so it's a little bit easier to kind of it's a little more palatable mm-hmm. but it's also just very it's very light and it and and like you said it's it it is more character driven and more about the town um the heavy narrative stuff is very short and just at the end mm-hmm. um but otherwise it's very focused on the the farming um the fishing the gathering um and the dinner parties <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh What's the overall goal here? I guess it, it's is it very much like a farm sim in the sense that it's very it has an open goal where it's you know just build up the farm, build up the community, or are you heading towards something specific? So
2: it is kind of open, build up the farm, build up the community, and the limited options for building kind of, you know, um really emphasize that point. Mm-hmm. Um there's only a couple of buildings you can build in the main town. Um, otherwise, everything else is just uh, upgrades to the farm or um, unlocking other areas to, um, you know, do the fishing and the gathering in. Uh, and I believe you have to unlock everything in order to get the main narrative uh, finished.
0: Okay. Um, um, what's the town? What are the town building mechanics like? So there are only a few buildings that you can build up. But uh, how does that work in the game in terms of, like, people coming over and, and building up the, building up the population of the community?
2: So the you know there're only few sadly there're only a couple of people that actually move into town. Um but uh people from the game from the original game uh do come and visit and they all have like their own little side quests that you uh help them out on. Um and that drives the narrative forward. And um as well as uh forcing you to kind of unlock recipes and things like that for John. Mm-hmm. Uh when it comes to building buildings though, uh you uh there's like a quest board, and you 're like, "Hey, I want to build this now and they dump a um little box out in front of the area where the building is going to be built, and it requires usually just wood and stone and salt, which is the currency in in the east world eastward universe and uh you once you fill those up, it begins construction, and then that usually takes you know however many days it says on the board mm. now if you invite the construction crew over for a dinner party. Uh, I believe it halves the time, um, the construction takes, uh, provided you, there's a little mini game with the, with the, uh, dinner party thing, because each piece of food has like a stamina restoration number towards it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, what, what'll happen is based on how many people you invite over for the dinner party, you have to hit a certain stamina number. And so you're essentially planning the dinner right with the with the recipe with the food that you have on you. Mm-hmm. and so uh, as long as you hit that stamina number, then you get a bonus. and so with the construction guys that that bonus is um a reduction in the time of for construction
0: mm. so it pays to uh pays to have them well fed
2: yes, absolutely. everybody loves food, everybody loves being well fed
0: yeah um when you're actually looking for ingredients like obviously you have the farming, which you know, as you mentioned, it's the same thing you you plant the crops, you water the crops you harvest the crops uh how do you get other things like fish for example or other ingredients i understand there are mini games attached so with fish fishing is a
2: is a big mini game and uh, i think they did a really interesting thing because i was kind of expecting them to kind of to just do what other people have done um or to have something like the near fishing mini game where everybody hates it uh the you know, in, in Stardew Valley, it's just a, it's just a bar and like the fish kind of goes up and down and you kind of got to keep the bar, you know, uh, you've got to keep your like little level within the bar.
0: Yeah. Just like real fishing, right?
2: Just like <laughs> real fishing. Yeah. And this one, uh, it's like a flat circle and you, you have like your lure and you use RB and LB to like move it around the outside of the circle. And then when you get near your fish, you kind of just toss it in and the fish will go over and grab it and try and run away with the lure around the circle and you have to kind of like use like a shadow lure, I guess, um, to kind of like uh, follow the fish and once you catch up to it, you hit a button and it kind of, with a lack of a better term, attack the fish. And however many attacks the fish requires, as long as you hit that many times, you pull out the fish.
0: Just like real fishing.
2: Yeah, more like (laughs) real fishing. Very, very realistic simulation.
0: Yeah, so that seems to have a... I don't want to call it combat, but a little bit more of a combative uh, aspect than other uh, than harvesting vegetables, for example.
2: Yeah. And it was very fun too. um, And engaging. I I would say Um, at first I didn't, I mean like, you know, like with all new mechanics uh, I'm a real sourpuss. So (laughs) if you introduce a new mechanic to me, I'm like, Oh, I hate this. Uh, (laughs) But I, I, I warmed up to it really fast and uh, they have uh, multiple lures. Um, One's a power lure. Uh, which reduces the amount of hit uh, attacks uh, you need to perform on a fish in order to pull it out, but it's mm-hmm. slower. And there's a speed lure which hits for less power but follows the fish faster.
0: The other, I mean, you also have to get resources, and I think you mentioned that uh, interesting name, Sonic Punk, uh, is how you uh, you know you you explore the mines. So Sonic Punk is controlled by a. Uh, an arcade style cabinet which is a bit recycled from the original the original i didn't actually know this until uh i didn't i didn't realize this at least i think i knew it back when it was released because i talked about the game but i did this it was a refresh uh earth, earth earthbound uh, <laughs> eastward had a retro style rpg that you could actually play through called earthborn which sure. uh, resembled dragon quest quite a bit um and it's been replaced with I guess, Sonic Punk now, which I will have to say Sonic Punk sounds so much like a very early nineties platformer released by like for the Sega Genesis, but not released <laughs> by Sega, just released by like one of those fly by night companies that's trying to like capitalize on the popularity of Sonic. So they're like, we're going to call it Sonic Punk. Nice. And it just I, looked. I was imagining Comic Zone. <laughs> that's it. Oh my God. That's exactly. <laughs> Sonic Punk could be another name. for Yes. Yeah okay the the
2: sean michaels character in in comic zone yeah
0: yeah um so so how does how does sonic punk work
2: well first i should mention that sonic punk was actually in the original eastward game um he was a uh he's like a maintenance robot or like a helper robot for alva Mm -hmm. um and so in so it was really cool to see him pop back up um this game has a lot of fanfare if you played the original so I think that's why they paired it up as a DLC because I don't think it it it's as I don't know heartwarming or um I don't know. You just feel like uh Leo DiCaprio in the meme when he's pointing at the TV. Ah well, oh, yeah, okay. This, this DLC. Um but so so Sonic Puck, you you he goes uh you come up to the arcade machine and he pops out and he goes into the mines. And then it's uh it definitely kind of looks like a Game Boy. <laughs> the screen turns into kind of like a Game Boy where it's kind of black and white and uh uh, or various shades of green. And, uh, basically there are, um, different minerals, uh, just kind of uh, around like a, a flat grid like system. And, uh, you just go up to them and you drop a bomb and the bomb does, I think nine squares in the grid around it. And as you collect more minerals, a little bar along the bottom fills up. And as that bar fills up, you're able to, um, uh, the explosions kind of uh, get bigger. Hmm. Um, and uh, there are also, uh, um, I don't, I'm struggling on what to call them, uh, like flashing rocks, where if you hit them, they do a bigger explosion as well. Okay. Right? And so one of the things, to, one of the great ways to play that is to kind of like chain those along so you're doing multiple explosions at a time with only one bomb uh, because you are limited to um, I actually don't know off the top of my head, but you're limited in the amount of bombs you can carry into the mine.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: another thing you can do is um, in Alva's lab, there's a upgrade um, and I forget what it's called, but what it does is, uh, oh, oh, it's like, a, it, it's like uh, supposed to be mimicking an earthquake. And what it does is, is it has exploding rocks kind of fall down from the sky, which since it's 2D from the top of the screen mm. um, and they cause explosions. And so you can essentially go into a level. And I mean, like basically it's it's floors, And then as you, uh, break apart rocks, a opening will open up to go to the next floor. Um, and so you could go to a floor and not place any bombs at all with this upgrade going on. and, you know, it'll just fall and you'll start collecting minerals and eventually it'll pop open the entrance to the next floor. And then you can just go to the next floor. Um, and that actually lasts for quite a while. You know, you go, you could go down there with that upgrade and get really big gains. Um, (laughs) To the point of like almost trivializing um, rocks and minerals in general, uh, oh, because poor, poor
0: Sonic Punk is being put out of a job.
2: <laughs> economy's real tough in Octopia, let me tell you.
0: Um, but I don't know. One- I, I personally, I kind of like the idea of AI being put out of a job by uh, human ingenuity, <laughs> but that's just where I'm coming from right now.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, uh, he's not completely AI-driven. As John is controlling the uh, the joystick there. Okay, but. Uh, what, so he's putting in th- prompts, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go faster.
0: Destroy the rocks.
2: Uh, one thing it never trivializes, though, is salt, um, mm-hmm. which is which I think they from a balance perspective, I think they did an incredible job of because I never got to I never really got to I got to a point where I could like I always had enough junk on me to sell to gain the salt that i needed to buy upgrades or buy new seeds or what have you Mm -hmm. Um,
0: but it never felt like i was just like swimming in salt i like Uh, that i like the fact that salt is there because is it is it a currency essentially yeah so it's 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 the gold yeah so it ties very closely in with the cooking mechanics i would imagine (laughs) yeah does it pair well with pepper (laughs) unfortunately no pepper Uh, oh it's a post-apocalyptic world there's no pepper yeah that's (laughs) fair too (laughs) Pepper has been lost to time. <laughs> uh, well, the game, as we talked about, it looks stunning. Just honestly, some of the best pixel art that's been released in the last few years was in Eastward, and this looks equally stunning. I'm curious about the music because in you know, retro style games, the music does tend to be uh, equally important in many ways. So uh, how's the music in this and the sound effects, I guess?
2: So uh, that's one thing that like really didn't change a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I... I I was worried that I wouldn't recognize a lot of the music because I did play the game when it released, Uh, but it definitely reuses a lot of the music from the original game. And I could be wrong on this. You know, they could be different arrangements or what have you, but it was very familiar Mm. uh, musically. Um, And the sound effects, obviously there are new sound effects because you're not pulling out vegetables or or planting trees or what have you, or chopping down trees in the original.
0: Mm. Um,
2: But um, all pretty run of the mill sounds. Um, The... um, You know, the fishing mechanic, the reason why I say you're attacking the fish is uh, a lot of that is influenced by the sound effect that plays when you hit a fish. Um, Very like and just like uh, real fishing. Right. (laughs) And Zelda fishing and Zelda fishing. That's true. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I don't think that the you know, the honestly, the sound and the sound effects themselves did not um, jump out to me. However, the music (laughs) I, I really enjoyed the music in Eastward. And uh, Octopia was no different. It was uh, while you reuse a lot of the same tracks, um, mm-hmm. it just th-
0: those tracks are, are are utilized well. OK, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. It sounds like in many ways it's more fun than Eastward was uh, just in terms of it doesn't have the same emotional resonance of the story, but it does the mechanics of it getting rid of the combat. It seems like a very streamlined experience is doing something very different from the the uh, core game.
2: Yeah, I really loved Eastward, but there were definitely some parts that dragged. Um, and while that might be true of Octopia, it's because it's a shorter game. Those moments aren't nearly as long. Uh, like there's a section in Eastward where you're, <laughs> there are these monkeys on a train that are like, uh, it's called monkey wood and they're like filming <laughs> movies and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, um, it has like a lot of like mini game combat on it, and it kind of, you know, the, the story was kind of dragging at that point. And like, uh, it, while the monkey wood portion was funny, um, you know, I, I just didn't think that the gameplay and the combat was super engaging at that point. Um, and so that was a whole, that was like a whole chapter. Um, the, the monkeys from monkey would come and visit and ask for like chocolate bananas and stuff like that in Octopia. And, uh, they were, that part was a lot of fun in Octopia. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, The parts that drag in Octopia, you know, you don't even you can't even say that because they last all like 10 minutes.
0: You know, it's a much more streamlined package.
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's interesting hearing about this game so much because, again, it is so different. Like, I'm curious if you know why the developers decided to go in this direction, especially given the amount of time that's passed between, you know, the original game coming out and now this uh, DLC. And do you see this kind of being like their direction forward? Have they said anything to that effect?
2: I haven't seen any. You know, I did a lot of research uh, during the review because I, too, was curious about that. Like that, that strikes me right? Like we made this, we made this killer 2d narrative Zelda game at, you know, action RPG. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's narrative focused, uh, I would think that they would want to follow it up with some story DLC. Now, now I feel like this, you know, uh, uh, Octopia and I, I, I won't get into spoilers, but like, I feel like the narrative does kind of wrap into that a little bit, but, um, what, what was so striking is just the completely different direction it took. And I'm almost wondering if maybe they're, um, you know, like if I were to posit a guess, and that, you know, that's just a guess. That's all it would be. If I was to posit a guess, I would say that their next game likely has a farming sim or city building element to it. And this was a really good way to kind of like flex that muscle and and kind of like, you know, I mean, because what better way to figure out kind of like the the nuts and bolts about, about what you want to make next than by just making it right. And if you can make a little bit of money by doing that, that just seems like a good idea. It almost that's, sounds
1: like they're like kind of gearing up for like almost something that's kind of fantasy
0: life ish. I don't know, potentially. What a great game yeah <laughs> it's interesting they they're so if if that is the case they're treating this very similarly to how uh how uh, guerrilla games treats the dlc for the horizon series like the frozen wilds which was the dlc for horizon zero dawn was very much a prototype for horizon forbidden west and presumably the dlc for uh forbidden west is also very much a prototype for the the next game so it's a smart way to uh I guess, develop something within a shorter time frame to develop your skills in a way that means that the first time you try something isn't going to be the big release.
2: Yeah, and using the framework that you've already established. Mm. And because your pipeline has already existed for that game, it should be easier to develop assets for it. Um, yeah. You know, games I've worked on the worked on, on the game dev side, um, you know, when development really starts cooking, that's when things actually get done. You know, because like you get into a prototyping stage and it's just kind of like it's not stagnant at all, but I mean like it's also like almost not tangible.
0: Yeah. You're working from a you're working from a uh a place where you know what you've got, essentially. Right. right. Which is a better place to be. Whereas you're prototyping, you're constantly coming up with ideas. New ideas are being created. Of course, there's a lot of new ideas introduced in this game, but they would have been based on the framework that had already been developed. So yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good point. Hmm. Well, uh Nick, thank you for jumping on and talking about uh, Octopia with us. I think that uh, our fearless leader, Mike Salvato, might enjoy this title. Uh, I, I think I will mention it to him. Um, but uh, well, I'm going to pivot right now because much like controlling Sonic Punk looks like playing a Game Boy, we're going to be talking about something else that looks a lot like playing a Game Boy. Indeed. Uh, we're going to be talking about an RPG roguelike and uh, a console that... I don't think we've ever really mentioned on Random Encounter before, and that is the Playdate.
1: You know, I think it's a console that probably people haven't even thought about in a year at least unless you're mm-hmm. like in a very specific scene you know it had its momentary splash but yeah i'll get i'll let you finish your uh, your, your intro
0: which just it's interesting to think about it totally is uh just for those who don't know uh the playdate is a small handheld console with aesthetics that are pretty similar to i'd say a game boy pocket uh just smaller package it's uh it has a super super sharp black and white screen uh one bit graphics there are two buttons on it a b and an a there's a d-pad there's also a crank on the side which we'll mention in a bit now the play date was announced by game publisher panic in 2019 with an intended release date of early 2020 uh as i understand it there were some manufacturing difficulties and of course you know the the big thing happened in 2020 so uh in short it got delayed quite a bit it wasn't delayed until april 2022 uh to quite a bit of fanfare this was a really cool little product and a lot of people really enjoyed it uh, it also had a very interesting release schedule for the games at the start rather than buying the games one at a time uh, panic released an entire season of 24 games in 2024 and then every two weeks two new games would automatically be downloaded to the console for free as the price of the season was built into the price of the console uh, nowadays it seems like they're going for a more traditional method of release with games available on their online storefront to download However, the console is also open source and a lot of the development tools are also open source that allows for sideloading and downloading of games that are not officially supported. So this has become a bit of a, a bit of an indie darling game just for the very, very uh, low entry fee to develop for it. Um it's a console that I've genuinely been interested in for a long time because it's just so goddamn cute. And Same. it's a retro, it's it's retro throwback in the best way possible, I think. However, I never bought one and neither did anybody else on staff. However, Tim, you have a play date.
1: I do. In fact, I, I bought it maybe a month ago. So I'm still in that. They're still doing the cycle where like t- at each week you get two different games from their first season. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on top of that, because I, you know, get this new thing. and I'm like, I want to try out all, you know. What, what it has to offer i'm going in i'm like sideloading things i'm going into their catalog and bought a few things um and came across this game we're going to talk about in a second called under the castle which is an rpg uh a rogue game released last december uh i just kind of kind of realized like how much charm there is to this device because you know when you when you like think about it you're like okay like it's a Throwback to the extent that, like, you have to have a light over you because there's no, it's not a backlit screen. This is like mm. going back to that era. But it really, like, just it for me, somebody who grew up at a time, I mean, I, like, you know, was of an age when, like, my, you know, dad had an actual Game Boy, and I remember that, like, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, it just it just brings me back to that childhood in just the charm and just the earnestness around everything, I guess, is, is kind yeah. of a word I would use. No, I totally um, buy it. I mean yeah. I had a
0: Game Boy. I had a Game yeah. Boy and then I upgraded it a few years later to a Game Boy color. Exactly. Um,
1: yeah. But the color the color had no the, did the color have a backlit screen or did that not happen until later?
0: Uh I don't I think, think it did. I think it did. I can't even remember. I, I don't <laughs> think it did. I really oh. don't think it did. <sighs> <sighs> There was a backlit Game Boy called the Game Boy Light, which was a revision of the Game Boy Pocket. Oh, interesting. interesting. Okay, I think I knew about that one. Actually, interesting. Anyway, yeah,
2: I had a peripheral for my Game Boy that was like this giant
1: thing. Oh, that the you magnifying glass.
2: To. Yeah, it was a magnifying glass, and also had a light underneath. You know, underneath it to
1: light on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that thing was ridiculous. You know, what's funny is I, I think it was on Reddit maybe a week ago. I saw somebody post exactly that thing for but for the play date. So (laughs) that idea is coming back for this specific device. I mean, like it's, it's almost like we've gone back whatever it is, 25 years and are just like repeating history for this, like, you know, niche community of people who
0: enjoy this device of which I'm becoming one. Yeah. Well, a game that I would, I would say in many ways, it was a little bit too, like, let's put it this way. This is not, while it does, While it does echo uh, retro stylings and retro style games, uh, the games that are being made for it are really quite innovative and very quite modern. So let's talk about Under the Castle. Uh, It's a roguelike with RPG elements, and I specifically mean Rogue, the 1980 dungeon crawling game uh, that eventually became the framework for just about every roguelike and roguelike game you've ever played, including Splunky, Rogue Legacy, Crypt of the Necrodancer, and probably most most famously, Hades. just before we get in, this is a, this is a topic that there is a great deal of controversy about, and various people uh, have different thoughts on it. Uh, where I'm coming from, there is a difference between rogue likes and rogue lights. Uh, they, for a while, they were used interchangeably. I think that likes are pretty much following the same. Uh, formula as rogue which it features permadeath and any upgrades you get along the way they're lost you start from zero at the beginning of each run and all progression in it is skills and knowledge based so you must get better at the game in order to progress a rogue light uh, also utilizes a permadeath system but it usually also has the form of persistent upgrades and unlocks so you might find better weapons and skills equipped that you can equip for every run or level up your character stats generally speaking most rogue lights. Most consider rogue lights to be more accessible because of the persistent upgrades. Uh, what are we dealing with here with under the castle? So I'll first say when you look at like the developer
1: description of the game, they call it a rogue with capital R game, so rogue game. But okay. but listening to those descriptions, I would kind of pull from both i would say was, i would say it is basically take rogue and give it persistent elements like a rogue light game mm-hmm. um, as you described it so basically what happens is you have as you go through the different you know um you do different runs through these different uh, dungeons uh, you will essentially get different armor or i should say weapons and shields as well as spells and potions and um, assuming you can complete a run with those items uh Mm -hmm. you will then have those available for any future run you do um which is part of the great part of the game in the end game it's also maybe what hurts the game but uh but that kind of mixing and matching especially with different weapons and like what like you know you can bring eight items with you at any or have eight items on you at any time so like what you know you decide to bring with you from the get-go is, you know, a big part of the strategy. And also, you know, in the different dungeons, you're doing different things. So the first one, you are just tasked with kill X number of monsters, and each time you complete it, it gets to a higher level, and you're able to have to to kill more monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one, you are tasked with with, uh, collecting orbs, which can be collected through killing monsters and so forth. Um, And those take up space in your inventory uh there's you know as you continue on there's a mechanic through which you can offload those and continue going but um and then the last one kind of combines those two by having you have to pick uh having you pick up keys in order to free prisoners who are in the dungeon so you kind of have to like both be it, it, it adds you know it adds, it adds an extra layer of difficulty i would just say um and you know each of those kinds of requires a different level kind of thinking like do you want to be a dodge tank and just kind of get out get out of the way of monsters um where you don't need to or you if you're you know more aggressively fighting monsters like what's the most powerful way you can do that um and then also I think, but there also is also a skill element, and uh, you know, I think, and that's actually something I really love about the game because, um, you know, these are kind of bespoke. It's not randomized in the sense that, like, you know, they randomize uh, each level layout. Instead, it's kind of bespoke layouts that are kind of randomly, you know, picked from each time you go down a flight of stairs, hmm. and sometimes you'll land in a level where it's like, okay, uh, here are three enemies that have projectiles you know and if you line them up correctly you could just have them kill each other Mm -hmm. um and then also there's other you know i'll just give one other thing is like with the items um you kind of learn over time okay so there's a flashlight item or, or, or something of the sort uh that uh illuminates a dark room but you can also use the freeze ice item to like see where enemies might be in that same room if you don't have the light item Mm -hmm. um and then yeah so and so again again, anyway the different tactics you start to use as you go deeper and deeper into these dungeons is uh is also a part of it so I, i would say it's a mix of everything but ultimately it's gonna feel a lot like the classic rogue game in just actual gameplay
0: yeah, it's fascinating that there's multiple uh, there's multiple dungeons here, which I suspect is both because they want to differentiate themselves from Rogue, but also because they're the game is on an ultra portable handheld, uh, and as a result of that, each dungeon crawl it doesn't sound like each dungeon crawl would be considered epic. It seems like they're pretty bite sized, easy to easy to complete, but they're still challenging. Yeah, I would
1: definitely say so. I think, especially early on, the goals are, you know, very slight. So, like, you know, you may be killing five enemies or getting two orbs. You're going to be done very quickly. Um, it's as you get further into the game, uh, you know, those numbers just go go up. And there are more difficult things at lower levels uh, to, mm-hmm. you know, face. Um, so I would say it gets a little more, I guess you could say epic. But at the same time, you're also we Will have discovered all the weapons probably at that point. So, like, you know, that element's gone. So, it, it, you know, where it gets le- a little less epic in one way, it gets a little more epic in
0: another. Uh, See, but- it's interesting because we were talking about roguelikes and rogue lights uh, a little earlier and uh, persistent upgrades. I don't necessarily consider the ability to unlock new weapons, for example, make- to make it a rogue light. Because just because it's a new weapon doesn't necessarily mean that it is making the game easier or making it easier to get deeper into the dungeon. In fact, new weapons provide a great deal of replay value because they provide you with a different method of progression. But that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as easier so yeah and actually that's
1: that's one of the great things about the design of the game is that you have things that are like okay this is an aoe weapon oh this weapon mm-hmm. you know will help you dodge or this shield will help you dodge or you can use these things together and it'll give you even more of that mm-hmm. um the problem comes into play so i'll, I'll just i'll just like kind of cap off what i was saying before a little bit with the structure of the game is that once you've completed all of these dungeons seven times um you are then led to what is the best part of the game which is the final boss where they utilize. You know, I, I won't. I won't. You know, go into all the details. But they essentially use all the different mechanics of the game you have to, um, in order to best this boss. And once you finish that, you're given a sword and a shield that are extremely overpowered and just to be absolutely nullify using anything else other than just for the fun of it because your best run will always be with these more powerful items mm. um you know i don't know i don't know how, how much people go into spoilers here or if how much people would even care <laughs> so should i should i just say what th- what
0: these things are or- yeah sure if uh, if anyone is worried about that you can skip ahead for a bit uh, and uh, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the shield
1: gives you a ton of health and also makes any projectile that hits you do zero damage. Uh, which again, a big part of the lower uh, lower levels of these dungeons is dealing with projectiles and having to be having that spatial awareness. So that kind of ruins that. It um, also the sword basically starts as a plus one attack. But each time you kill an enemy, mm-hmm. it goes up plus one up to ten and that's going to get you through like one-shotting a lot of things until you get much further down and at that point you'll have other items as well that can help you essentially one-shot things still. So th- so those so I mean they're cool items especially like the idea with the sword um and it's fun for a while but eventually it's like okay i wish you know especially because to do those seven dungeons especially because those will be the seven shortest runs of those dungeons you do Mm -hmm. it just feels like it undercuts the post game which should have been a more important thing Mm -hmm. um and there's one other thing that bigger thing i would say that undercuts that um which is that uh you know there's there's unfortunately some performance issues once you get to the Grindiest, latest levels of this dungeon where there are mm. some visual bugs. There's uh, some issues with rooms where, like, you'll walk into a room and a strong enemy will just be, like, right on top of you and you can do nothing to get away from it. Um, so it, it kind of ultimately, like, soft ends the game at that point. It almost feels like the Tetris or not Tetris, sorry, Pac Man, like, uh-huh. level 255 kind of feeling in a sense. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate those bugs exist because, uh, you know, in my review, you know, the graphics for this game are amazing. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm preempting you, you asking me okay. uh, about these things. I will. I was going to ask you about them, but <laughs> yeah. believe me, we can talk about the graphics because the graphics are pretty cool looking. Yeah. So the graphics. So here's what's great about the the graphics is that um, they are incredibly detailed. And on the play date, for the most part, other than a couple times when like you just have to like look around and like kind of just you know, figure out like where your character may be. It's all very clean, yet very detailed. Um, But the Playdate actually has a cool um, feature made by Panic where uh, you can plug it into your Mac or PC um, and have the uh, image blown up into a full scale thing. So you don't have to play in the tiny handheld. Um, I mostly played that way, but I did put it on the big screen and it looks amazing that way too. Like if they release this game on Steam or whatever, it would still look amazing.
0: Which I believe. And there's a lot of games out there that utilize a one bit, uh, two color, black and white graphic styles. It's certainly nostalgic from a uh, early generation PC point of view. Uh, and something that really separates... We were talking and we were comparing it a lot to the Game Boy, but the reality is the Game Boy, especially the original Game Boy, let's just say the screen was not the strong point of the system. It was not a selling point. It was a, it was an LCD display that was I mean it was an LCD display that was made in the 1980s, and famously um, green, famously green. And even when they evolved into the Pocket and the Light and even the Color, uh, the screen was not fantastic. Here the screen is absolutely stunning. It is sharp. It is beautiful uh and that allows for in my opinion a lot of uh a lot of detail work that would have literally been either impossible or completely lost on a system like the game boy
1: lost and also we're dealing with a system that is more powerful you also hear it in the sound like it it, it is a more powerful system it's they're just making games that would have that that would that would could have existed in that era Mm -hmm. you know
0: but like ultimately are much higher fidelity Yeah. yeah. And the game is just beautiful. Like it's funny, we were talking about bugs before Uh, to get a feel for what the game was. I was watching some footage on YouTube and one of the people playing it was continuously experiencing crashes, uh, which is a shame. But Mm, the game, the game looks amazing and it's amazing what developers and really talented, uh, really talented graphic designers can do with literally just two colors and patterns using those two colors to create the appearance of gray it's it's really impressive
1: yeah exactly and you know in in my review uh it's it's it was it's it's kind of a weird thing right because my graphic score because we put performance into that category Mm -hmm. is in the 80s but like if it was performant amazingly performant not only would that probably have raised my score a little bit but also Mm -hmm. like the overall score but the graphic score would have been you know in the in the high nineties like i i i think it i think i think it really really does look uh that good so it's just it's just it's just you know a shame a shame in that way but it it is still i'd say an achievement for this device. Um and I, and I, and just a uh, uh, like you know I will say like there are a lot of great looking games and a lot of great art on this device so I don't want to spin it as as like this like the one great looking game but it, but it, 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 it to me it, it stands out as like particularly detailed I think it's a beautiful
0: example of yeah. doing more with less Yeah um, and speaking of doing more with less, I mean you you had to knock the graphics score because of the performance. One place where you didn't have to knock anything was the sound. How's the sound in this game? So the sound is amazing. um all the sound effects are super crunchy. Uh, there's a little like
1: noise every like little, every time you like hop along with your character it's all, all so all the sound effects are great, but the music there's a different theme for each uh of the different dungeons um and there's kind of this somber theme that plays in the overworld but when you get to the boss there's like two different boss themes for the different phases of that fight and uh they just they they just bump pretty hard (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. the best way i can put it um it's all it's it's again it's it's not like i guess i guess i guess it is chiptune but it's not chiptune in like the game boy sense it's like chiptune in the
0: in the modern in the modern sense you know yeah, like you m- MIDI very, music
1: in the yeah
0: you can tell the difference if you listen to a MIDI track from in 1989 yeah. and a MIDI track today it's a little different
1: yeah exactly um you know i i don't feel like it's doing anything that is you know other games haven't done i just think it really you know adds a lot to have that they went to the effort to like you know create those different soundtracks and mm-hmm. especially go over the top you know for the the boss make that really feel special um, yeah and make that a genuinely
0: like memorable moment for me uh, what it what it does it does really yeah. well it sounds yeah basically. I need to ask you, I mean, I, I want to pivot to our discussion question in a, in a few minutes, but I, I, before we leave this, I really need to ask you because this is kind of the identifying feature of the play date. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's, like a, little, it's a little Game Boy. But then you're like, there's a crank on the side of it. Why is there a crank on the side of it? Uh, it's undeniably the eye-catching part of the playdate. How is it used here? And it, it, actually, after you answer that, if you wanted to, if you have an opportunity to, uh, how is it used in some other games?
1: Yeah. So honestly, mostly what I'm going to probably talk about is other games because here. Uh, it's not used very it's to, to any important effect i mean and it doesn't have to be i don't think for a playday to game to, to be good um but to here basically there's a mechanic where you can kind of like disappear into your hat and like float along and that uses up mana points um in order to kind of cross gaps or move past enemies um and to do that you flip the the crank up and then to go back you flip it back the other direction you know that can get it can get a little wonky uh, sometimes again there's a little bit of weird bugginess with that sometimes but it's not not in any way that hurts the game i would say Mm -hmm. um but with other games including other rpg type games um it's used fantastically i think one of the games that comes with the season pass i think in fact it's one of the two games you get off the bat is called uh, uh oh what's the name of that game um oh a casual birder um and this is kind It's 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 an rpg in the sense that like you're kind of like having to find different items and like collect different things and go around a town and talk to people and fulfill requests and stuff like that you know get to an ending and it has the towns in writing has like an almost earthbound style sensibility to it. Um, but the crank is used um, to take pictures of birds and you use it to like, you know, change the aperture and stuff and, you know, bring everything into focus. So that's one great example. Um, another one is this, uh, a simple game called Root Bear, where you just kind of have to turn the crank to like, you know, pour its tap, but up to a very specific line that this bear that you're pouring up, root beer for once and it's just you know the, the the accuracy of the crank also comes through in that um i will i will say like you know if you go on online i think you'll or on on the reddit uh, for play date you will see like people being like oh my crank broke and stuff and i i do think um so it's, it's a little it's a little flimsy uh, in mm-hmm. in some ways but overall like i think yeah, I mean, it, again, this is a whole conversation in its own right. But yeah, it it is definitely like the big
0: reason to like invest in one. It's over fun. Or Something. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like that. That's that's the point.
0: Yeah. It's fun, and I appreciate the frustration that they must be feeling. But I mean, whenever you introduce something that moves like that, you are introducing a uh, a new point of failure into the product, which must be considered and weighed. And I think that they. I think that they may have looked at it and been like, "This is a Game Boy. We need to do something to differentiate it." And then they came up with the idea of a crank, and that's interesting. That that's very Nintendo. Actually, is introducing something yeah, which makes people go, "Why are you doing that?" That's just stupid. Oh, actually, it's kind of cool. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, it's fun. You know? I, yeah,
1: that, that's a good point. And I, I and I, I just I guess the last comment under under the castle, um, and and games that may not you like use the crank to some great ability, or there may be some you know jankiness with it i'm very forgiving of that unless it's like extremely core to the gameplay because it's you know something that they people have not had to develop for before which again is what makes it interesting so yeah um um Oh, and one 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 last thing I want to say is like it's very interesting to just hear uh, the Octopia DLC was ten dollars because this game is uh, it was six dollars because this is ten and then I'm like wow I think for ten dollars is a good value mm-hmm. uh, and I, I you know but like it just it just puts in the perspective like that that D, that DLC is fantastic value for six dollars <laughs>
0: just to bring it back to that. Oh, I mean, we could have a conversation. I, I we already have a discussion question, but a decent discussion question in the future would be uh value for your money for uh indie and double a games versus the value for your money for triple a games. Uh, and I don't think that there is even remotely a question about that where uh indie and and double a games give way more value for your money, yeah, yeah, like, a lot of the time, not even close it's 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 remote, especially if you look at like I guess current the current poster child of AAA excess Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Like that game provides nine hours worth of story content and repetitive uh, squad-based uh, missions. After that, it sounds like that's even in the uh, even in the uh, uh, post-game and the, the upcoming seasons. And I, believe me, I'm not bashing Suicide Squad here. I'm just saying that you're paying like upwards of a $100 for that. Whereas for like, I don't know, $6, you get 20 plus hours worth of fun with uh that or with the play date, like you buy the play date, you get 24 games included in the system. Uh Like it's no question to me, which has better value for your money.
2: Well, why stop there? Ubisoft just announced that Skull and Bones is the first official quadruple A game. What? And that's $70, <laughs> so- uh and that looks i mean like the, <laughs> if that's that bullshit some videos, though that's
0: like a hotel saying we're a
2: seven star hotel huh? it really is <laughs> but uh it's fun to dunk on ubisoft because i hate them so much it's
0: <laughs> actually you want to know what that's a real that's a really good place to pivot into our conversation yeah. our discussion <laughs> question um uh, Tim, thank you very much for uh, playing this and for also giving us a heads up about the play date because I've been very curious about this system for a few years now because Same. it's it's really just a cool little device.
1: Yeah, no problem. And I will also just say, like, um, you know, I have this review for this specific game, but especially as I'm able to, you know, get the full 24 game lineup and you know play some more stuff, I'm gonna eventually do like a roundup of RPGs on the system. So expect at least a little more coverage from me on this oh, device.
0: That would be lovely, and I'll tell you a game that uh, I would I would very much like you to play uh, and review for us whenever it comes out, which is uh, Lucas Pope's next game. Uh, Lucas Pope, for those who don't know, is the creator of Papers, Please and Return of Oberdin. Uh, Mars After Midnight is going to be uh, released on the playdate and it's going to be a, it's an interesting looking game. He calls it small on his website. It's been <laughs> in development for quite some time. So I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I mean, it
1: was that one of the reasons I bought the play date.
0: <laughs> you can, you know, you can draw your I, own conclusions. <laughs> I mean, you'll look, you'll look at the play dates graphics and you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty much in line with both Oberdin and papers, please. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Bo- yeah. Both games, which are, are arguably revolutionary.
0: Yes, revolutionary. Uh, okay, well, let's pivot to the discussion question now because we could talk about that for quite some time. Uh, so, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of discourse online, much of it completely unsupported by evidence, uh, that Microsoft is going to be folding the Xbox brand. Uh, now, we're actually going to be finding out what happens uh, on the 15th of February. So, by the time you're listening to this, you will know we will not. Um, You will know if we sound like fools in this conversation, if Microsoft's just like, nope, we're shutting her all down. Um, Sorry, there's been a lot of noise about this. And frankly, gloating in advance from much of Sony's fan base. uh, This entire experience has really got me thinking about toxic brand loyalty and how it can be detrimental to the video game industry and to be frank, any industry as a whole. Uh, My question for both of you, and don't take this as an attack because I'm going to share my own, but do you have any irrational brand loyalty? and if so? Why? Or did you have any in the past?
2: Well, I mean, like in the past, I think everybody does in the past. I think as you grow, you know, we have a very tribalist mindset growing up.
0: Oh, God, yes. Like when I was a small child, I never would have said this because I didn't swear as a small child, but very much Sega.
2: Right. Uh, it, well, and, and that's the thing is like a lot of the tribalism comes from the fact of comes from what you were given, right? The only reason you would say Sega is because you had a Nintendo system. If you had a Sega system, you might have said Nintendo, right?
0: I, I, I think all of the advertising at that time would support that premise. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, yeah, you would have exactly. been up there going, you know,
1: why I got a Sega? Because Sega
2: does what Nintendo don't.
1: I mean, it was the advertising that probably drew
0: that even in, out in the first For place. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, does yeah. Nintendo have blast processing? Hell no. <laughs> No, but, neither does Sega, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and I think
2: that's kind of like the root of a lot of the tribalist mindset when it comes to gaming, because even though we mature as adults, we don't really grow out. You know, um, a lot of people don't really grow out of that because, uh, I mean, like, I don't know. I could get into the psychology behind it, but really mm. what it just boils down to is we have like this tribalist mindset early on. It's beaten into us by marketing in our capitalist society, and it just carries on from there. Um, and it's not like consoles are cheap. You know what I mean? No, like you're spending not. $500 on an Xbox, $600 on a PlayStation, um, and 300 or $300 on a switch. Um, oftentimes you pretty much have to, you know, especially the casual gamer or somebody who might, uh, um, buy it, get invested, but like, doesn't really have the money to, uh, go all in, mm-hmm. um, definitely wants to make it seem like their investment is worth it. You know, absolutely. I, I bought an Xbox. I think the Xbox is the best. I'm going to beat that drum online
0: mm-hmm it's it, what's fascinating to me is and i am not a sports fan by any means so please if anyone is correct me uh, but it doesn't feel like team sports certainly has this mentality of like my team rocks your team sucks. i mean we just had the super bowl for god's sake like yeah. and it does have people choose their teams and the other team sucks and my team's awesome but there's something about it that doesn't feel quite as toxic i don't know why maybe it's just because i'm immersed in the video game uh video game discourse so i see it more or i'm more in tune with it but there's genuinely something just absolutely poisonous about one side or the other cheering successes or failures that will have a detrimental impact on the industry as a whole. Like it's so short-sighted. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think – I think okay, so I'm going to just like preempt Xbox a little and say that they are going to have some titles that will come to other platforms. What those will be, mm. we don't know. Um, but I feel like – you know some people you will have a a, a a kind of a section of people who will be toxic toxic about it but i think i don't know i really think especially in this case a very vocal minority and i think that the more that this happens um you know I'll, i kind of say this then to think like okay nintendo and playstation are not going to give their games to other people but like hypothetically if like there's kind of a you know some level of like sharing of what are now exclusives i think people would very quickly just like come to accept that and change their tune in fact we've had xbox games on nintendo platforms for a while so honestly if it is just kind of like the high fi rush type of thing coming to other platforms it's actually nothing new
0: like we've had cuphead ori etc yeah um, yeah it, it well, happens. that's true and what's interesting to me, I mean, you could argue Nintendo is playing a completely different game than anyone else in terms of uh, in terms of what that system does and what their business model is versus what Sony, uh, Sony and Xbox are in direct competition with each other. I Nintendo is not. Sometimes true. I mean, they're they're coming for the same money and the same eyeballs at the
1: same time. So I, I wouldn't say there's no competition, but I see what you mean. They're not. You know, the, the fan the fan war has kind of moved. Nintendo into its own section. Well,
2: I was just going to say that the, the Nintendo has positioned themselves in a very interesting place because the Switch is almost a like a side load system. You know, I hmm. all of the PC gamers I know also have a Switch. Mm. You know, it's a it's a very Nintendo has positioned themselves to be almost a necessity, um, and because the console is the cheapest option, and because Nintendo is definitely never putting their games on PC. Mm. Uh, the way to get the widest range of games
0: is definitely PC with Switch. You know what? I would argue, and this is going to there is going to be some pushback about this. I bet I would argue that Nintendo has more in common with the Playdate than Nintendo does with Sony or uh, Xbox at this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, other than the fact that you know uh, Nintendo definitely doesn't like actual side loading, uh, I, I I could I kind of I kind of see that. I kind I can I can see that actually.
0: Yeah, but I mean they are very much a. I don't want to say not necessarily peripheral console, but they are almost in a different section of console than PlayStation or uh, Xbox. And incidentally, I think that people who are predicting the death of Xbox or Microsoft are idiots, Um, dramatic idiots. They're fools. And you know how I know it's because two years ago, people were talking about Netflix and saying the Netflix earnings are dead. Like Netflix is dead. They've lost Really? Or people who just last year when Bob Iger took over saying, Disney's dead. Disney's going to be bought out by (laughs) Apple. Are you an idiot? No, they're not. It's Disney. Like people really do like to speculate online about things that they don't know what they're talking about. And basic logic seems to impede brand loyalty uh, in a way. And incidentally, I I'll give you a perfect example that I'm living with because I'm not looking down on these people. For literally my entire life, I was a Pepsi drinker, and I felt Coke tasted like crap. Um, And here's the funny thing. That's stupid. Logically, I know that's stupid. And I I actually quit drinking Pepsi or Cola uh, about 10 years ago. It was the only vice I had, and I quit it um, because it was way too much sugar. Uh, (laughs) But even to this day, like if I drink a Coke or try to drink a Coke, my tongue will reject it. It will absolutely reject it as a valid pe- a valid beverage. Um, and if I drink a Pepsi, I'll say, mm, that's really, really good. I can fully recognize that the differences between the two beverages are minimal at best, but my perception and my innate brand loyalty and how my brain has been wired to perceive them genuinely does make a significant difference difference in how i perceive the tastes of the two beverages and i feel like that's applicable to sony to microsoft to nintendo to any kind of brand loyalty where because you are loyal to that brand if you try the other brand that is directly opposing to it your reaction even if it is delicious is still going to be negative yeah i mean
1: actually my, my own uh kind of thing i was going to bring to this is kind of similar in 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 a way um, and it has to do with apple actually which we mentioned briefly before with disney um you know i because i grew up with apple my dad was an apple you know fan like had you know uh, and so that was like the technology i was surrounded with um i would listen to you know the andy and Notco, leo laporte podcasts in the car with my dad like so i was just kind of like guided wow, into like yeah I, yeah a name pro i haven't myself in a little while but um point point being like i think ultimately though i took the wrong takeaway from it was that i just was like oh well apple is clearly like clearly just like better than everything else because i didn't have exposure to anything else um and actually to be fair, this kind of loyalty I had to Apple and like rejection of anything anything else um, is what got me my start in writing. and uh, I started off as a mobile games writer in two thousand nine, um, and so it kind of put me there. But eventually, like I remember, it was a uh, it was some Star Wars MMO. I'm not even a big Star Wars person, but for some reason, the Star Wars beta MMO or beta of the Star Wars MMO on a PC at my cousin's house uh, would have been the High Republic, maybe. The Old Republic.
0: The Old mm, Republic. I said the High Republic. That's the, that's y- Disney's new thing.
1: Yes, I think so. If it was like 2010, 2011, that was what it was. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, the Old Republic, I think, like, came out in 2008. Well, well Old Republic. It's not Old Republic, but it, I think it was – It's not. it's not the – no, but it's not important <laughs> whatever it was yeah yeah but but uh, anyway but the the point the point is that like i i played this uh beta on like a pc and i was like oh wow like that was actually super fun and then i built my own pc and realized oh this is great too and now you know i'm I, my rhetoric could be like oh i mean i still like use apple products mostly but like like i if somebody asked me like what phone should i get now i would just be like yeah every phone is basically going to give you the same experience um hmm. so i I, f- I feel like i feel like you just kind of once uh, you know i guess with actual tastes as you were talking about like physical taste there's something a little different going on there but as you just expose yourself to like more different types of things i think you naturally just kind of grow out of that and maybe that's you know i think again we're I guess it is a little different when it's like an actual exposure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's just a maturity thing too. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like you wouldn't have done that if you weren't capable, you know, if you weren't capable of opening up your mind and being like, Oh, okay. This is this, this new experience is, it it, it is different. It's, it's positive, Mm. you know, going into that experience and being like, well, PC suck and then playing it and enjoying it. I mean, like I've definitely, met people who will enjoy something and still refuse to admit that it was any good because it doesn't match the platform they're on or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't match with their personal tastes, what have you. Um, my, my father is the exact opposite where he hates everything Apple, you mm-hmm. know, and there's just nothing, you know, uh, I, I was probably that way when I was like a teenager, but as an adult man, <laughs> I, you know, if, if somebody has an iPhone, I'm not offended by that. <laughs> Why would I be offended by somebody else's cell phone choice? My father comments on it every single time he sees an iPhone.
0: I'm a massive Apple fan. I love Apple. I have an iPad. I have a, I have an Apple watch. I have an iPhone. Uh, I have an Apple TV. I also have a PC. My primary computing device is my PC. Um, and it works for me. And as much like I like being in the Apple ecosystem, I also like some of what Windows brings to the table. Um, Oh, but God knows if I am forced to upgrade to Windows 11, I might be taking a look at a Mac. Um, so yeah, I, I think take the take the best out of what you have. And yeah, there are always other options. And for some people, using an iPhone interface is perfect. Amanda, my partner, hates using an iPhone. There's something about it. There's something about the interface for her that just doesn't seem to work. She had to use it for work. She knew how to use it. But it just never worked for her. She's she's solidly Android. Not because she has brand loyalty to Android, because can you have brand loyalty to Android? It's an operating system. Yes, there are like 10,000 exactly. different phones. I mean, there, are like 10, yeah. there are like multiple phones. Anyway, yeah. um, but like the way that Android works just happens to coincide with the way that her mind works and the way that her workflow works. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a preference. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think people can have preferences. Absolutely. I can prefer Pepsi than Coke. The problem emerges when you develop a toxic resistance to that, and you think Coke sucks. And it's like, no, clearly Coke doesn't suck. A lot of people like Coke. It's not your preference, but a lot of people like it. It doesn't mean that other people's preferences are wrong.
2: Um, one of the things that I've uh, had to uh, uh, deal with online a lot, uh, especially with online discourse, is people hating on a game that I really enjoy, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, and, uh, when it comes to most of these arguments, um, and people just really take having a toxic hatred towards this game, um, to the point where, I mean, like, I would almost say that hating final fantasy 13 is, is a loyalty thing.
0: Oh, there's absolutely an anti brand loyalty sort of mentality out there too.
2: Yeah. And that's definitely true for Final Fantasy 13 to where when I would talk about that game online, I've literally had somebody tell me and and if no, nobody believes me, there is another writer, RPG fan, Wes Iliff. Uh I've shown him these screenshots, uh, a person saying that the uh, Final Fantasy 13 had more in common with an on rail shooter than an RPG.
0: Huh? Yeah, that's <laughs> What's, it. That's that's quite a take.
1: That is a take. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I wish I could even know because, frankly, like the fact that people have bemoaned that game so much has just stopped me from even trying it, which is
0: its own problem.
2: Uh,
1: Truly, really one of uh, one
2: of my favorite battle systems in Final Fantasy,
0: and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing. It, there's nothing wrong with it, um, and it's. I, I agree. I mean, this is this conversation was a gateway into talking about internet discourse because while all of these arguments existed prior to the internet and reddit and and twitter etc like we've always had toxic uh fan bases always had toxic opinions but it wasn't as the other side wasn't as easily uh ready to attack if that makes sense publicly or viciously as it were um yeah the internet discourse is uh that's a that's a topic and a half right
1: there I mean, I I almost just I – I just got to throw it in there because it's just so topical. Just how, uh, you know, everybody will have a different opinion on Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, and where that direction is going with the story. And I'll be honest, like as somebody who actually just for some reason really just lo- – I, I give reasons. But why – I super – I loved what Final Fantasy VII Remake is doing and actually even liked it even more than the original Final Fantasy Seven. Like wow. I've I've had – like I have had like urges to be like very defensive against like very harsh rhetoric or against it. So I could, I would almost say like I could see how, how someone could fall into that trap pretty easily without it being like, even like malicious in some way, you know?
0: Oh, and you know that there's going to be people like very much like, Oh God, I do not want to bring this person up, but very much like uh uh when the, sixth Harry Potter book got released like people would walk around wearing shirts saying Dumbledore dies just because they enjoy spoiling it for people you know that if if a certain character does or does not die the internet is going to be postered with people who are just thrilled to death to spoil it for everybody else
2: well YTMND do you remember the YTMND where the guy would drove by the line of people buying uh that Harry Potter book and they just yelled Snape kills Dumbledore
0: Yeah, it's like, it's just, that's the problem is those situations used to be fairly isolated in the real world. Now it's just online and everywhere. (sighs) Okay, I feel we're moving into a bit of a get off my lawn territory, (laughs) but um, I want to thank you both for talking about this. We are clearly not going to come to a conclusion. I know for a fact that regardless of whether uh, a certain character dies or not in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, people are going to be pissed off. They're going to be pissed off because they died. They're going to be pissed off because they didn't die and they changed the story. They're going to be pissed off because Cloud and Sephiroth didn't kiss uh, or I'm gonna be, be pissed, off, pissed, off, or, or be pissed <laughs> off because they did. Like that's the, this is just what's going to happen. Yeah. And unfortunately the discourse about the game and the actual quality of the game is going to be somewhat muddled within that, uh, that horrible internet discourse brand loyalty crap. So we're going to be talking about, ff uh, seven rebirth next week uh and i'm really really excited to hear what our reviewer uh thinks of the game so uh if you'd like to support us here at rpg fan and support our work covering the games like this we've opened up a store and you can find it at www.rpgfan.com slash shop uh what i would really like to direct your attention to right now though is the book so uh a few months ago uh, this has been in the works for quite a while uh we teamed up with hyperplay RPG and we released the RPG fan review card collection. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram or any of our other social media, uh, you know, that our reviews are often summarized into review cards, uh, that are created for it. And we've taken 300 of the review cards and we put it in a book and I love it. It's so cool. I have it on my shelf. I just, it's a really, really cool little book. And, uh, if you want to support us, Take a look at it because it's great. I just think it's really, really great. Obviously, I have brand, ba- I, I, I am, I am biased towards our brand, but I still think it's awesome. Um, another way that I'm biased towards our brand is by promoting our podcast. So uh, if you want to also support us, you can check out past episodes of Random Encounter. Last week we chatted about two games with "re" in the title, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which I'm. S- Dill in Disbelief is actually out, and Persona 3 Reload. And as I mentioned, next week we're going to be talking about another re, which is Rebirth. Uh, We also have Retro Encounter. Now, I was actually on Retro, I was going to say I was on Retro a few days ago, but I'm recording the episode immediately after I record this episode. Uh, And it's going to be uh, a chat with Celosia about one of our favorite characters, the Dragon of Dojima himself, Kiryu Kazuma. So uh, super appropriate, given that this is the Year of the Dragon. Uh, We're also going to be, uh, we also want to put a spotlight on Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Last week was an off week. Uh, It will be back soon with an episode focused on the music of Final Fantasy VII. Like I said, we may or may not be preempting it next week for the Final Fantasy VII episode. We're going to see, I have to talk to Mike about scheduling and we'll figure all that out. But absolutely, Rhythm Encounter is going to be back very, very soon. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can do so by firing us off a message to podcast at rpgfan.com. If you have any ideas for discussion questions, as you can tell, we like discussion questions, and we talk about them a lot. So fire us off a message there. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with me directly, you can do so by sending an email to jlogan at rpgfan.com. You can also find me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. I am not the only person on this podcast with a social media presence. Nick, where can we find you online?
1: Uh, you can
2: find me on Blue Sky, uh, nickmanwrites.bsky.social.
1: Cool. And Tim, where can we find you? I'm at Rattray on Twitter. Uh, and again, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been fantastic. Super fun.
0: Absolutely. Look, it's been an absolute joy talking to both of you about these games and talking to you about this uh, a topic that can inflame the emotions, to put it mildly. <laughs> uh, I wish that we could have gone on for considerably longer talking about that, but I think it was a pretty good little conversation. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, you can please share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there. Please rate us on iTunes or other podcast players of choice and leave us a review if you'd like. Uh, Again, Nick, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Tim. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. your first time. Your first podcast can always be a bit nerve wracking. I think that it was. I think it went great.
1: Uh, I, I I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, it was also on something that was you know fun to talk about because it is a fun thing. So.
0: It is very much. And everyone out there, thank you for joining us. And everyone listening, whatever you're playing, have fun.